I do want to wish you a, ha a happy Easter if you've uh, arrived since we began. Um, I said earlier, it's a good time to be a Christian, uh, Easter, because uh, East, Easter, I don't mean to trivialise Easter because Easter is very important to the Christian, but, but if you think about, um, you know, in 1966, England won the World Cup. It's a bit distant now, and, and most people who are alive can't remember, um, and, and other teams have won the World Cup so many times since. But, but with the Easter story, it's, it's this account of victory for the Christian that's there forever. And no one takes it away. Uh, no one sort of trumps it. Um, there was a moment in history where Jesus won the battle. And uh, that is such a positive thing. It's amazing how, how sometimes unconfident and sort of nervous Christians can be when we're on the winning side and uh, Jesus made all the difference. And no one else has ever achieved what he achieved. No one else has ever died on a cross. No one else has, has ever, I mean, lots of people have died on a cross. But no one has ever died on a cross and rose again and ascended into heaven. And um, over a period of three and a half years, which was the length of time of his ministry, um, he ended up at the end of that three and a half years with about 120 followers. So in three and a half years, Jesus, who did miracles in everything, had 120 followers but now Christianity is probably the biggest religion in the world, the biggest faith in the world. And, and one of the reasons it's the biggest is not everyone who's a Christian was born a Christian. So we're not talking about people who were born into a particular church and that makes you a Christian. We're talking about people who have come to faith. They've come to a place where they believe in him and they trust him. And so Easter Sunday is a good Sunday for the Christian. The Easter weekend is a good weekend uh, for the Christian. So we're going to look at one of part of the Easter story. There's so much about the Easter story. I'll just, I'll just tell you this. Yesterday, I thought I had written a message. I thought I'd written a talk. And I was there at home. I, I mentioned it to the guys in the morning. I said, you know what? I'm not going to go to badminton today because I've got to finish my talk. So I went home. I wrote my talk out. And then, and then Pauline and Yasmin came home. And, uh, and as is my want, I like to tell people about what I'm going to talk about and ask what they think and all that type of stuff. And I normally do it with Pauline. But Pauline wasn't interested in talking to me <laughs> yesterday. And so she left the room. But Yasmin was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, Dad. Tell me. So I talked to her. I told Yasmin about my talk yesterday. And she said, Dad, that's a great talk. But, but tomorrow's Easter. Shouldn't you do something about, you know, like the gospel Easter story? And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I should. And I've previously been told off in, a, in another church for preaching about the ascension of Jesus on Easter Sunday. So I thought, let's try and get it right. And so um, I've, I, I, I then worked on another, another, another talk. So here we are. So I better pray, actually, so God, <laughs> God helps us this morning. Uh, Father, we pray for your help today. Holy Spirit, we pray for your presence with us. Um, that you would illuminate our hearts, yes. open, open yes. our hearts, Lord, that we might see you. Father, that's, that's the thing, that we see you, that we don't hear my words, but we see you, the risen Lord Jesus. We understand who you are. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reading from the book of John, and it's chapter 20, and it's verse 24. And because the talk all came around pretty late, the talk is simply called The Story of Thomas. So, now Thomas 
also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I just wanted to ask this question. Why is the story of Thomas here in the Gospel? We don't read much about Thomas. You do read about him on a couple of occasions. Um, In John 11, um, Jesus is going back to Jerusalem. He's going back to see Lazarus. And uh, the disciples know that Jesus' life is on the line at that moment. Uh, And Thomas says to them, says to the other disciples, let's go back with Jesus that we might die with him. So he's a very loyal individual. And then in John 14, you read about Thomas where Jesus is trying to explain. It's in the middle of that big discourse. Jesus is trying to explain that I've got to go and all this type of stuff. And you know where I'm going and you know who I am. And Thomas says, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. So... Some of the commentators believe that Thomas was a, you know, a bit of a, half, a glass half full type person. Yeah, and I thought I can relate to that. That Thomas is a sort of a glass half full. He's he's not a big sort of budding person. He's he's a bit sort of uh, dowdy really. And uh, and it may be that the reason he wasn't with the twelve at this moment was maybe he just felt he couldn't cope with the fact that Jesus had died, because we're talking here about just a couple of days after Jesus had died and. And, and the disciples say that they'd seen the Lord. Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he was just wandering, depressed somewhere. And then when he returns to them, he can't handle this barrage of we've seen him. So why, why is it here in the gospel? Why do I, why do I, I just three, three observations I want to make. But it's really for us. I mean, whether or not this is historically why it was there, but three observations for us. If you're a Christian here today, the truth is that some of us will meet people like Thomas. You're going to meet somebody like Thomas. You're going to meet somebody who has doubts and concerns and needs evidence for what you believe. You'll meet them, probably in your daily life. And so this story helps you when it comes to reaching those types of people. Uh, Secondly, we notice that Jesus meets Thomas where he is at. Yeah, Jesus meets Thomas where he's at. Thomas needs particular types of things to believe. And Jesus comes back the second time. And uh, interestingly enough, there are, there, are, there are miracles going on here that we don't even think about. First of all, there's the miracle of Jesus came and stood among them. Yeah, it doesn't say he opened the door. It doesn't say he knocked and somebody opened the unlocked door. It simply says he came and stood among them. And then he addresses Thomas as though he knew what Thomas's issue was. But there's no evidence that that somebody had gone to Jesus previously and said, Jesus, uh, Thomas, he's really not sure about you. 
There's no evidence that that happened, but Jesus seemed to know where Thomas was at, and he meets him where he's at. And thirdly, some of us are going to meet people like Thomas. Jesus meets Thomas where he's at. Thirdly, some of us are like Thomas. We've got doubts and concerns. We've got genuine questions. How, how does that work? How does that happen? I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. The Bible seems to contradict itself. How does it all work? Some of us have got genuine questions like Thomas. So, so it's helpful for us for that story to be there because those things would still be there. People would still be like that even if this story wasn't there. But because this story is there, we can help. So I'm just going to make three observations from this passage, three very simple observations. The first is this. The disciples' response to Thomas when they see him is, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Now, you will know um, the story of of what's led up to here. Um, Jesus had been with his disciples even last week. um, um, Terry was talking about Jesus preparing his disciples for his going. I'm going to be going away. I'm going to send another. I won't be here uh, with you. He's preparing them for his going. And then there's a moment that comes where Jesus gets arrested in the garden and he's taken by the authorities. The disciples initially, well, they scatter. One or two of them go with him, but really they're, they're, they're right behind. And to be honest, they never see him alive again. He's, he's taken, he's put on trial, he's... he's He's, uh, he's whipped and beaten. I don't know how many, how many of you have ever seen the film uh, The Passion of the Christ. Yeah? Oh, it's a bit like, yeah? It's one of those films that you watch and you want to, you, you know, it's really a little bit like, um, I don't know what the word is, but it's a bit like that. Um, uh, but, you know, when you see Jesus being whipped and beaten in that film, you're like, oh, ah, you know, I feel it. Yeah, a bit like when, when, when Pauline had our children, I, I felt that. Yeah, I, I did. No one believes me, but I did. I was there. I was squeezing her hand. Yeah, she wasn't squeezing mine. And so the disciples, uh, they're in this moment where they, they say, we've seen the Lord. And, and the background is that they'd been scattered. Jesus had, had, had been taken. He had been tried. He had been um, uh, whipped and beaten, and then he'd been hung on a cross to die. And most of them weren't even there when he was hung on the cross. The women were there, and John was there. Most of the disciples weren't there. He was hung on the cross. And at that point, they're thinking, it's all over. It's all over. What do we do now? It was no wonder, if you read in the first verses just before this, it says they were locked in the room for fear of the Jews. They were thinking, gosh, if the Jews have got Jesus, what will they do to us? They're fearful, they're worried, they're concerned about what is going to happen. Now, Jesus had said a whole load of things, but they weren't really hearing that at this moment. And Thomas, for whatever reason, he isn't with them. You know the sort of person who goes off, you're, maybe you're a group, you're, you're a family, you're, you're, you're a group of people together, and then one of you isn't there, and you're like, oh, where, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? Now, I'm the sort of person, I'm a big sort of family person, I like to have the family Around, They don't always like to be around, but I like to have them uh, around. And so I'd be like, oh, where's, where, where's Yasmin? Oh, she's at uni. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I like to have them around. And maybe the disciples were like that. They were now down to 10 because Judas had gone and now Thomas had disappeared. In that moment, Jesus come and, comes and stands among them. 
and he says, peace be with you, and they are overjoyed because suddenly it's all beginning to make sense. We've seen him. Jesus said he would rise in three days, and he has risen in three days. Jesus talked about being the Son of God, and he's proved that. He's risen from the dead. He's come back, and he's come back in a way that we can recognize him, but he's also different. He appears in the room with them. He didn't say he knocked on the door. He appeared in the room with them. He's the same, but he's also different. He appears to various witnesses, Mary Magdalene, Peter and John. He appears to the disciples. Thomas is not there. But they are excited and they're telling him. And if you, if you go to the Greek, when it talks about telling him, it's not like, oh, uh, Thomas, by the way, we saw the Lord. Yeah? They continually tell him all week. We've seen him. We've seen him. And he probably is just fed up when he says, look, unless I see the nail prints, unless I can put my hand where that sword went, I will not believe it. He needed more proof. Now, the truth is, had he been with the disciples in the first place, he might not have needed that extra proof. But he needed proof because he wasn't there. As I said earlier, we might all meet a Thomas. So in some ways, what the disciples are going through here is what they will go through on the mission later. You see, on the mission, they're going to meet people who don't believe. They're going to meet people who are going to say to them, well, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Unless I can experience it for myself, I won't believe it. It was an indication of what was to come for them. They had seen it. They had responded to it, but there was going to be a moment in, in their life as they went on where they wouldn't, that wouldn't be the case. So they're witnesses to this fact. They're witnesses to his resurrection. This is one of the things that separate, if you like, the apostolic age, those that actually were there with Jesus, saw him after he rose from the dead, and everybody else. Yeah? Because none of us have seen him in that way. So they had seen the Lord. Second observation is when Jesus enters the room and he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I'm amazed as I just think about it and talk about different passages, how often the Bible talks about peace. How often the Bible talks about peace with God, peace with one another. It talks a lot about peace, us having peace. And on this occasion, Thomas is in the room. The miracle is Jesus arrives in the house. He's not opened the doors, and he seems to know what is going on for Thomas. And so he talks to them generally, peace be with you. He then talks to Thomas specifically. And that's helpful for us because it makes us realise that that God doesn't, at one level, there is this idea, and we read it in Acts, where people just get saved and there's this big blanket thing. But actually, God comes to you individually You don't get saved because someone else got saved. You got saved because God will speak to you. God will reveal something to you if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say, oh, if there's this general confession. No, if you confess with your mouth. (coughs) So Thomas gets, gets, I suppose, what he's been asking for. He also gets a mild rebuke. Stop doubting, Thomas. And believe. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus welcomes Thomas into, if you like, this is, this is the kingdom beyond. 
This is his kingdom where he now reigns and rules. When he rose from the dead, he's coming to his coronation. He's coming to that moment where he will sit on the throne. He meets Thomas where he's at. Again, a sign of the mission to come. Jesus would bring peace despite people's circumstances and he would meet people where they were at. It was a sign of things to come. And thirdly, Thomas's response, my Lord and my God. Now, probably like you, like me, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and um, I know um, I was doing, uh, I was at an open air on, uh, on Friday, Good Friday, uh, down in Brixton, uh, outside the tube station, opposite the tube station, uh, we were sort of singing songs, and there was, there was uh, John Taylor was there from Beacon, and he's like sharing with people, and other people sharing and stuff. And I haven't done that for ages, but 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 throughout my Christian life, there have been many many moments where I've spoken to people about Jesus. I've talked to people about Jesus. Sometimes I've known them. Sometimes I haven't known them, um, and sometimes they share about their doubts and their questions and their their, their genuine concerns. Sometimes that's what happens, and you have discussions and debates, and I've done many, many alpha courses where that's happened. People have talked like that. The thing about Thomas is you can tell that his doubts and concerns were genuine. They, they weren't masks. Th- Thomas didn't doubt because he didn't want to change. Thomas doubted because he hadn't seen. Yeah? He desperately wanted to change. He desperately wanted to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but he hadn't seen it for himself. He was desperate for it. He wasn't doing it because he thought, well, you know, he wasn't just asking questions for the fun of it. No intention of changing. No intention of being different. He wanted to be different. Now sometimes, and you know that because of his response when Jesus does meet him. Thomas's response when Jesus meets him is this, my Lord and my God. Yeah. One of the ways you can describe that is Thomas immediately worshipped. He moved from being a doubter to a worshipper, a true worshipper. It was something from his heart. It wasn't, it wasn't that Jesus had now convinced him and now, oh, okay, I can understand it all now. It all makes a lot of sense to me. No, you're God. <laughs> Your God, in some ways, he makes the first post-resurrection declaration that Jesus is God. He's God. He's not just a man. He's the, he's the saviour of the world. He's the son of God. He is who he always claimed to be. He's just proved it to me. Yet for many people who have doubts, it's not, or for some people, it's not Thomas type doubts, it's mask type doubts. Because you can raise questions about something but you're not really interested in you're not interested in it. I could answer a hundred of your questions and you'll have a hundred more questions. Because in the end it's in the end the questions are not about I need to resolve this because I would love to know God but rather well you know you can't answer this, you can't answer that. I can dismiss Christianity based on the questions not that I was going to change anyway. So doubting, like Thomas, has to be genuine doubts. Genuine doubts. Not the doubts that mask your sin and the 
doubts that mask your lifestyle, that make you go, I will carry on living the way that I'm living because you can't, you can't answer the question about, about suffering. No one's ever given me a good answer to suffering, therefore I won't believe. Actually, it doesn't work like that. Good answers to questions. My, my own experience of doing alpha, alpha courses um, over the period of time, an alpha course like runs for about 10 weeks, people have loads of questions. Week one, loads of questions, and I can't answer them, and they're throwing them out, and I'm, I've just became very, very skillful at not answering questions. Yeah, so, oh, that's a really good question. What do other people think about that question? Yeah, I became really good at that. By week five and six, I still hadn't answered any questions, but people weren't asking questions anymore. Because in the end, that wasn't really the issue. The issue wasn't really, tell me the answer about suffering, otherwise I will not believe. That wasn't really the issue. When that's really the issue, when you get some sort of answer, then you can sort of grapple with it. But that's often not the issue. We can mask questions. When we get answers to our questions, and our questions were genuine, we respond like Thomas. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So the moment he was aware of it, the moment he realised, oh, Jesus has risen, he worshipped. He worshipped. And worship is so important to the Christian, yeah? Because worship is what enthrones the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you never worship Jesus, then you've missed something. Jesus isn't just like some sort of personal thing that comes and sits on the side of you. and You just take him around with you. Oh, I've, got, I've got Jesus. He's with me everywhere I go. I put him in my pocket, I take him out, I'm going to move over here, and Jesus, he's going to come with me. No, Jesus is who you worship. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He died on the cross and he rose again in order that you might know God. Yeah, he is God, and he's worthy of your worship. It's an appropriate response. It's difficult to say whether Thomas continue to have doubts because you can still have doubts and questions and genuine things. I think the whole passage tells us that, that it's possible to have those things. But actually you can, you can have those things even in the context of worship. I will worship you. Yeah. It's sometimes the case that those with the biggest doubts come through to be the strongest believers. You think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, not only did he have doubts, he just did not believe. He, and he so didn't believe, he was going about killing people who claimed that Jesus was the Son of God. He was killing them. He was murdering them. And he was, he was not just murdering them, he was causing other people to murder them. And yet when he experienced the risen Lord Jesus, what does he do? He falls down, he falls off his horse. He turns around and he says, whoa, who, who are you, Lord? And you know Jesus' reply? I am Jesus who you're persecuting. So the apostle was like, I've not persecuted. Yeah, every time you persecute those people who believe in me, you're persecuting me. I am Jesus who you're persecuting. When, when the apostle Paul comes through to faith, he is like no other believer. He moves from a place of, of, of almost aggressive anti-God to the most committed believer. He gives his life for this. 
Now the final thing that Jesus says in this passage to Thomas, but really to those who would read these and to us 21 centuries later, blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. Blessed are those of us who have not seen yet we have believed. He's making it clear that it's possible to believe on him with less evidence than Thomas did. It's possible to believe on him with less evidence than we see Thomas had. And hallelujah, we are such believers. If that wasn't in there, oh, I love the fact that that's in there. That he blesses us, blesses those who believe. Peter, in his, in his uh, uh, book, describes it well. 1 Peter 1, it says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And that's where we are. If you're a Christian here today, that is you. You've not seen him, but you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And because of that, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So who makes Jesus real for us now? We don't believe him and love him simply because the Bible tells us. We don't believe and love him simply because somebody else told us. We believe and we love him because the Spirit has revealed him to us. If you think about the disciples, it was after that the Holy Spirit came that they made all the connections about the type of person Jesus was. Oh, Jesus, yeah, he said that. He, he said that he would rise again. Oh, he's done that. He said that. All of those connections that they made subsequent to his rising came after the Spirit was poured out on them. And today is the same. It's the Spirit that reveals him to us. It's the Spirit that shows him to us. We read about it, but if you don't have the revelation of the Holy Spirit when you read about it, you're just reading a story. It doesn't, it's not personal. But when I read that passage in 1 Peter 1, that makes me feel great. Though I've not seen him, I love him. I think, oh yeah, that's true. That's true of me. That's not just words, that's true of me. If you're not a Christian, that is meaningless. Though you've not seen him, you love him. What are you talking about? But as a believer, it's meaningful, it's deep. I want us to respond to this wonderful truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So how open are you to the Holy Spirit? Can you say yourself, Jesus is Lord? Can you make that confession of faith? So what's your response today, Fuljana? There are three, three responses that I talked about. First of all, some of us today, we're witnesses. You're, you're a witness to the fact. And part of your life's work is to witness that to others. I've seen the Lord. I've seen him. Yeah, I know him. It's possible to know Jesus. It's possible to know God. We're witnesses of that fact. Not everyone will believe it. 
But some will believe it. Some will believe it. Secondly, do you welcome him in? When he stood among them and he comes, he says, peace be with you. Do you welcome him? And thirdly, do you worship him? Do you worship him? Is he your God? Is he your Lord? That's how Thomas responded. Thomas, Thomas was doubting. He was struggling. He, had, he hadn't been there. He missed out, if you like. He meets Jesus, and his response is one of worship. So we're going to just respond really simply today. We're going to sing a song, and um, some of us need to respond in our hearts. Some of us, you might be among those who think, you know, I want to welcome Jesus into my heart. I want to know peace with God, because you can know peace with God. And if that's you, then uh, maybe, maybe you want to just come down here. You can pray with somebody. Just make it known that that's what you want to do. Others of us, we just need, you need to pray. And you, say, you need to say, God, give me, give me the confidence to be a witness, to be able to tell others of what you've done. And still others, we just need to, you just need to worship him. You need to worship him. You're, you're too busy thinking about other things when really the one thing that matters is that you worship him, is that you give him the glory. So let's respond to today. Why don't we stand? I'll just pray and then we'll sing this song. Father, we thank you so much for Easter Sunday. I thank you for Easter Sunday. I thank you for this moment in the calendar uh, where we celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. Yes, we can do it every week, but I thank you that there is a moment where we all do it. And Father, though people say it's lost its meaning, it has not lost its meaning to us. It is very meaningful to us, O oh God, that we can celebrate Jesus risen. That though we might have concerns and doubts, we, we recognise, God, that in the whole scheme of things, it's all part of, it's all part of it. Thomas doubted. He was unsure. There are other moments where people exclaim, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, we recognise that doubts and concerns, they're all part of it. But ultimately, we come to you, Jesus, because we love you. We come because we love you. And by your spirit, we are able to proclaim, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Why don't you just say that? Say that out. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for dying. We thank you for rising again. We thank you that you sent the Spirit. That we today, 2100 centuries later, can worship you as if we were there. We can come to you as though, as though, it, as though it happened yesterday. As though Good Friday were the day that you rose again. That you died. And today was the day that you rose again. We can experience it like that. And we are so grateful, God. We are so grateful. Why don't we worship together?